Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning, welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is nearly over, ladies and gentlemen. The pain and suffering of yet another election campaign is nearing its conclusion this morning. We will be bringing you the latest from the campaign trail and we'll be talking to the players entering the final quarter of the game. First up, we'll be asking Anunziata Rees-Mogg why she resigned from the Brexit party yesterday along with three of her colleagues and is now calling for everyone who wants Brexit to vote Tory. Nigel Farage says they've always had ties with the Tories. Then we're joined by Rebecca Longbailey, the Shadow Business Secretary ahead of the second big TV debate tonight between Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn. The Prime Minister has written a letter to the Labour leader accusing him of trying to fill the result of a second referendum by giving the vote to EU citizens living in Britain. We want to know what you think of that particular idea. And you know the number, of course, 0344 499 1000. Coming up as well, uh, we'll be heading over to the live press conference where Jeremy Corbyn is claiming that he's got his hands on some more secret documents which apparently show that there's going to be a customs checks done between Northern Ireland and the United Kingdom. Uh, well, you would have thought that that was going to happen anyway. Uh, he says it's confidential government reports that he's got his hands on, uh, and he's making out that this will be in some way a bad thing. I'm not sure that it is. We want to hear from you on that one as well. 03444991000. Coming up later on, we'll be celebrating the news that we'll all be eating our own pets. Of course, we're not actually celebrating that fact. We are simply full of Christmas spirit and laughter at the predictions made by Dame Emma Thompson, the multi-millionaire actress who has flown back into the country to cheer us all up. Marvellous, isn't it? 03444991000. It's Friday, of course, so it's time for another edition of the Perrier Awards. An homage to my brilliance in broadcasting, and we'll be having a look ahead to what is in the Sunday Times this weekend as well. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest great radio station in the world. It is, of course, Talk Radio. 
The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, there's been several quite sort of substantial uh, developments in the course of the election campaign that have started uh, from some weeks ago, coming right up to now, where we're only six days away from deciding who the next government is going to be in this country and whether it's going to be a government which gets us out of the European Union, as we voted to do back in 2016, or whether uh, it is some kind of hodgepodge, some kind of slim majority or no majority or minority government, uh, which goes for another second referendum. I'm delighted now to say that we're joined by Anunziata Rees-Mogg, former Brexit Party MEP, uh, and now, I presume, independent, because as of yesterday, uh, Anunziata and three of her colleagues decided to revoke their uh, membership of the Brexit Party and tell everybody to vote Tory if they want to get out of the European Union. Anunziata, very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. I'm glad to have joined you uh, on the independent side of things. (laughs) Well, independence is a great thing for many reasons, and we want to be independent from the European Union, according to 17.4 million people who voted to do so. Tell us, uh, Anunziata, briefly, what brought you to the conclusion you came to yesterday? It it absolutely was that independence point that I couldn't uh, keep uh, silent and feel totally unable to speak when I could see the Brexit Party risking Brexit. And the point about the Brexit Party risking Brexit is that something weird has happened within the heart of it, it seems to me, and I don't know whether you can enlighten me as to what that might be, but it was not that long ago that Nigel Farage was standing up and saying that Boris's deal is not the right deal for getting out of the European Union, it's Brexit in name only, and frankly, we can't back it, and frankly, we're going to stand against the Tory party in every single seat that we can, and then suddenly that changed. It it did, and uh, he stood down 317 candidates uh, against Conservatives, so seats that had been won by the Conservatives in 2017. But that would not leave a a Conservative majority, despite the fact that Nigel Farage said the deal was good enough, that the promises Boris Johnson had made to not extend the transition period between the end of 2020 and to pursue a Canada plus free trade deal uh, were, were good enough. And I'm afraid to say at this point, good enough is the best we can possibly get because the only alternative is a Remain alliance. And there are two options from that, a Remain versus Remain referendum or revoke. And looking at the Daily Mail this morning, um, there's a very interesting page of how you can stop Brexit Party killing off Brexit. And it's basically got a whole list of different constituencies, which we won't want to go into in individual cases because we're not allowed to. But basically, a whole host of, of, of maybe 24 or 25 different constituencies is where the Leave vote could be split. I completely agree. I looked mainly at the East Midlands, I spoke to local voters, and it's very clear to me that people are coming, going straight from uh, the Labour Party to the Conservatives, but where they're going via the Brexit Party, the Brexit Party are taking more Conservatives than they are Labour, about two to one. That's very unscientific. That's, you know, me talking to people who actually have votes here. Mm. Uh, But that would mean that the Labour candidates who do not want Brexit would win and we will not leave the European Union. I couldn't sit by and let that continue. I think the Brexit party has incredible people within it. I have met some of the most uh, fundamentally uh, committed people of my life campaigning with them and being part of the 
Brexit Party movement. But this is misguided. It will backfire and it will mean we do not leave the European Union next year or ever. Now, Nigel Farage was interviewed last night by Andrew Neil, in, and during that interview he said a great many things, but he also said that you and your colleagues, the other three people who left the Brexit party yesterday, had always had ties to the Tory party, were only really sort of using the Brexit party uh, as a sort of piggyback operation. Is there any truth to any of that? Um, uh, do I have long-standing ties to the Conservative party? Yes. When I uh, announced that I was standing for the Brexit Party in my speech, I said I'd resigned my Conservative Party membership after 35 years. I'm only 40. That gives you a good indication I have quite long-standing connections to them. My surname is Rhys Mogg. It, it's not on, you know, every street that you've got one of us. I haven't hidden my family connections. Nigel was well aware of them. I'm not doing this to join the Conservatives. I won't sign up. To them, but I will stand for Brexit. That's what matters at this point, and the only way we can get it is with a Conservative government. And what has happened to Nigel Farage's kind of um, point of view, if you like? Because I've always said the thing about Nigel is that, you know, if we, it wasn't for him, we would not be having this election. We would never have had the referendum in the first place. We would never have voted to leave the European Union. So he's had a massive effect on the politics and the political um, sort of atmosphere in this country. But when it comes to a general election, a lot of people are saying they think he's got it massively wrong again. Uh, he's had a huge influence that uh, there are arguments both ways, but he was a certainly fundamental cause of us having the referendum in the first place. Uh, and the Brexit Party's success in the European elections this year did mean the end of May, uh, came straight at the end of May when the elections took place, that we got rid of a, a fake a Conservative leave Prime Minister and replaced her with a, a genuinely pro-leaving-the-EU Prime Minister. And that is a fundamental shift. I cannot begin to understand why Nigel Farage's usually very good political radar and understanding has gone so awry this time that he is prepared to risk everything he's fought for for the last 25, 30 years. And what about those Brexit Party supporters who have been roundly critical of you and, and the actions that were taken yesterday by, by you and your three colleagues? They say that you, you're a traitor to the cause. They say that you've just used the Brexit Party for your own means. And, and then they're not particularly singling you out, Anunziata, but all four of you, they say, uh, have, have really turned your back on, on the cause. The only element of the cause that made me fight uh, in a political arena was to achieve Brexit, and it was the betrayal that we were facing that Brexit was not going to happen. That is what I am still doing. The only way we can get it is with a Conservative government. I am no fan of Boris Johnson. I ha he's not my cup of tea. But if he can deliver Brexit, then that's who we've got to support. And the only other options are Nigel Farage, propped up by Nicola Sturgeon, and we will not leave. And the last time you and I spoke, Anunziata, you were, you were telling me that you were probably going to leave the European Parliament in any event, even if it wasn't the case that the Brexit Party got what it wanted and you were all out of a job, uh, because you're, you're going to be a mother, and all of that is, is, is fine and dandy. Are you currently now an independent MEP? I am uh, currently an independent MEP. The Brexit Party has uh, told us we will be whipped when we were still part of them, 
uh, to vote against Boris Johnson's deal, I'm not going to be replaced by someone who will oppose the UK leaving the EU. We have to carry on fighting for that. OK, Anunziata Rees-Mogg, thank you very much indeed. Uh, we want to hear from you on this one. I know there's a lot of people who will have voted for the Brexit Party in the European elections listening to this particular broadcast. Uh, this is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We are your election station. The number is this, 0344 499 1000. Uh, we'll talk some more about what the Brexit Party is going through. We'll talk some more uh, about the big debate tonight, of course, between Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn. We'll talk some more about Jeremy Corbyn's press conference just now in which he's revealed uh, that he's got evidence from secret government documents which are apparently not that secret anymore, uh, that there's going to be some kind of a border and customs check between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. And we'll also be hearing from Rebecca Long-Bailey, the Shadow Business Secretary uh, from the Labour Party, about what next for them over the course of the next five to six days, because the election is only next week. Now, Thursday, we'll, we'll be bringing it to you live, live streamed as well, of course, on HD. Uh, it will be the only place to be. It will be the best place to be. And we'll be with you all the way through the night from one o'clock in the morning, bringing you every result as it comes in. This is Talk Radio. More gun talk from a water pistol from the Farmer of Fury. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 is the number. We want to take loads of your calls today because this is the last show of the week, of course. Friday, December the 6th, there will be Perry Rewards coming up a little bit later on. We will be talking about eating your own pets uh, with Dame Emma Thompson because that's what she thinks we're all going to be doing. I don't think she's going to be doing it somehow because she's one of the wealthiest women uh, in the entire world. So uh, I don't think there's any chance of her uh, eating her pet uh, chinchilla anytime soon. But we shall see. Uh, let's listen now now uh, to Rebecca Long-Bailey. She is, of course, the Shadow Business Secretary, uh, Labour candidate as well for Salford and Eccles. I spoke to her just before the show, uh, and I started off by asking her whether the Labour Party uh, was focusing its efforts in any particular constituencies and where she was going to be campaigning uh, over the next seven days. I'm going to be in Bolton this morning after we've finished our interview, speaking to some small businesses there. And then I think I'm in Workington, on uh, Saturday, talking about our green industrial revolution, and then I'm in Salford tonight and all day Sunday then. And then who knows where I'll be next week. They've not given me my diary for next week yet. <laughs> right, no, and when I'm talking to the Tory party at the moment, I'm asking them where they're kind of looking to make gains, where their kind of bellwether seats are going to be. I mean, have you guys got a sort of a strategy, as it were, to make sure that you, if, if you see on Thursday night certain things going well, you know it's going well? I mean, where are you looking sort of for, for, for those kind of signals? I mean, certainly we're supporting marginals uh, and that's what we've done all throughout the campaign to try and win those seats that we need to win to form a majority government. Um, but it's also the case that we will support candidates. So, so, for example, I'm going to Bolton today to support a local candidate who I know very well and like and want to make sure that they're you know, receiving the attention that they deserve as well. And equally, Cumbria tomorrow, because we know that that's an area that's in dire need of investment and it fits very nicely into our green industrial revolution because it's going to be a central part of our plans. But in terms of focusing on, on specific seats, uh, it's certainly not something that I've... Uh, have been informed about. We're just going out and supporting the seats that we know need the support. It's also the case as well that certain areas, so for example in Salford, we've got a fantastic group of members 
who have been out even in the rain and the cold knocking on doors. So we don't need to worry to get the support on the doors there. Uh, but other areas, we know that they have a fewer number of activists. So sometimes we have to mobilise to other areas to make sure that they're getting the same levels of support. Yesterday, we saw four uh, Brexit Party MEPs stand up and make quite a bold statement to say, basically, vote Tory. Uh, forget about the Brexit Party, because if you want to get out of the European Union, that's the only way forward. Is that a problem for you? How much do you, do you worry about the Brexit Party in some of your seats, particularly in the North East? Well, I think we should worry about all parties um, because at the end of the day, a general election is there for people to vote for the party that best represents them at that particular time. Um, the concerns that we've certainly got is that we know that people are being offered uh, an option of extremes at the moment. They're being offered on one extreme uh, the prospect of no deal, uh, Brexit, which could absolutely devastate our economy. And then on the other hand, from the Liberal Democrats, um, you've got revoking Article 50 completely and undermining the de democratic process. So that's why, as a party, we've been trying to bring uh, people together. We know that this divides families, never mind politicians, and we want to draw a line under Brexit as quickly as possible so that we can move on to the things that we need to do for our society, like investing in schools, police, education, the NHS, and, and improving people's lives. And Brexit has been you know, part of our national debate for far too long, and it needs to be sorted out very, very quickly. Yeah, you can say that again. But I thought that no deal had been taken off the table because Jeremy Corbyn said he would never agree to an election until no deal was off the table. So I assumed that by agreeing to that election that it had been taken off. No, it has, well, temporarily. But I think it's important to note that Boris Johnson's deal, as it currently stands, um, would allow at the end of the transition period, if they haven't negotiated a trade deal, for no deal to come back into into the sphere again and that's very very worrying and could potentially be damaging there's also no guarantee that boris johnson would uh, ultimately decide to champion his own deal he said that he says he will but you all we also know that you know he's very in favor of a no deal brexit as are the brexit party well he keeps saying he's and not so, though doesn't he well he keeps saying that he's not but why would he not rule it out completely if that was the case and he hasn't done that at all and the way that the deal is structured, as I say at the moment, does provide enormous scope for a no deal at the end of the transition period. So it's not providing certainty to anyone, whereas what we've said is that we rule out no deal completely, and we're quite clear about that. And what we want is a credible deal that adds as much detail at this early stage as it possibly can do, so that we do have that long-term certainty. But the trouble is, I don't think you would describe or anybody would describe Labour's plans on the European Union as absolutely certain uh, or ruling anything in or out because you wouldn't like to have a second referendum. Boris Johnson today uh, has written a letter to Jeremy Corbyn ahead of the uh, debate, the live debate tonight on ITV. Uh, he's accusing him of trying to fiddle the second referendum by asking for uh, votes to be given to European Union um, um, citizens who live in this country. No, well, first point, it's not, uh, uh, you know, a second referendum, i.e. a rerun of the original referendum. The reason that we've backed the position of a people's vote now, and I'll be honest, I was one of the ones that, you know, took a long time to be brought on board with this idea because I wanted to respect the democratic wishes of the country. But we had three years of drama from the Conservative Party, when they should have initially reached out, realising that they didn't have a majority, and tried to get a consensus over what our negotiating principles would be. That's what should have happened on day one, but it didn't. And they tried to play to certain wings of their party, came back with two deals now that aren't satisfactory for the vast majority of MPs of all parties 
in Parliament. And the whole point of having a people's vote is to get a credible deal, because we know that the two deals that have been on the table do undermine our economy. We want to have one that protects our economy and protects workers' rights and consumer rights and environmental protections. And we want to say to people, look, after three years of drama, you've seen that politicians can't agree on this. We want you to decide whether this is what you voted for. Are you happy with the deal? And if you're not happy with the deal, then there's an option to remain. We've obviously ruled out no deal because that's our party position. But we do want people to have the final say on this. On the second Could point you not have about... made all this a lot more straightforward, though, if you'd voted for Theresa May's deal in the first place? And then we would have avoided at least this year's drama and we could have been out already with a deal well, no, that you, that mean, you well... actually are probably more than likely to negotiate once you negotiate, if you'd ever do, with the, with the European Union, because it'd be the same kind of deal that they give you. No, I mean, and I was desperate to vote for a credible deal to put this matter to bed and move on. And that's why I was part of the negotiations with the government when it became clear that there wasn't a parliamentary majority for Theresa May's deal, where we tried to reach a compromise. And that became clear in those negotiations that even if Theresa May did offer certain things to us, her party weren't going to agree to it. And the deal that she had on the table at that particular time, it weakened workers' rights, it weakened environmental protections, and it offered no certainty at all over what kind of trade deal we were going to try and negotiate with the EU in the future. So that's why we didn't want to support it at that stage. And that's why we want to negotiate a more credible deal uh, under the Labour government. But the other point that you made about EU nationals being able to vote in the Mm. election, and this is an important point, and I understand um, why people could be concerned about this, but Many of the EU nationals who are working in this country at the moment, they've been here for a very long period of time. Many of them have children in our schools and they're valued members of our society. And we've said that under the Labour government that they will be granted the right to remain here as we exit the EU. And I think it's only fair for people who are considering their future to be able to vote in a vote that determines their future. So you don't think that that is um, a fiddle on the uh, on the referendum result? Not because at presumably, all. I, think it's I don't think any. Uh, very, there'd be very few European Union citizens who would vote to leave the European Union, would there? Well, I don't. I don't know. I mean, we don't know until you speak to those individual voters themselves. Many of them have lived here for a very long time, and they probably share the same views as their neighbours. Some are leavers, some are remainers, and and it's as simple as that. But ultimately, the point here is about fairness, and these are people, individuals who contribute to our society. And we want them to continue contributing to our society in the way that they have. And as such, they should have a vote over what their future looks like. And does it concern you that, say, for example, with one week to go, there's not an awful lot on the front page this morning. I know we're going to talk shortly about your announcement today on the small businesses, and I'm sorry we haven't got to that yet. Um, But the only Labour story on the front page this morning is on the front page of Daily Telegraph, and it's a statement from the Jewish Labour movement, a part of their submission to the Equality and Human Rights Commission. This story, you know, I mean, I'm like a lot of people in this country. I'm sure that, uh, as you are, you'd like this story to go away, but it's just not going away anywhere. No, and what we need to do, and certainly, I mean, I'll be the first person to say, and I've said this repeatedly, that when the the issue of anti-Semitism became apparent within the Labour Party, it was clear that we didn't have processes that were strong enough to deal with these cases quickly enough, and we didn't. And since then, we have... implemented a more robust set of procedures. We have increased the number of people who look at these cases so that they can be dealt with far more swiftly. We have included over the summer um, an auto-expulsion, if you like, that allows us to be able to expel or suspend members immediately if it's very clear that they've committed an anti-Semitic And have you thrown anybody out of the party since that was uh, instituted? 
Well, I don't personally have the, the data or the information on that, but I would hope that if any case came up that was of a serious nature, where it was clear that it was anti-Semitic or racist or any other form of discrimination, that we'd you know, kick those people out of the party as quickly as possible. And that's certainly been the messages that we've been given by those who were involved in those processes. But even that alone, you know, we'll never go far enough to be able to tackle this. We still need to keep trying because we're the party who holds ourselves to the highest standard when it comes to these things. And we want to have the gold standard when it comes to dealing with racism, anti-Semitism and any form of discrimination. So we'll wait to see what the EHRC recommend and we'll certainly act upon that. But certainly, I mean, the stories that we've seen in the media, I haven't seen the full submission myself. I understand uh, there are some comments in it, though, that are quite horrifying. And yes. uh, any member who's guilty of saying the things that I've certainly read in the press shouldn't be a member of the Labour Party, quite frankly. And I know time is short, Rebecca, so uh, tell us a bit about this uh, new business development agency that you want to set up to help uh, small businesses. Well, so very briefly, we know from speaking to businesses and business organisations such as the Federation of Small Businesses that the business support landscape is quite complex with quite a patchwork of public and private sector initiatives. And many small businesses and entrepreneurs um, and the self-employed find it very difficult to access support. They just don't know where to go unless they know the right people. So we want to have a universal service, if you like, a one-stop shop for small business as part of a wider package of support we're offering for businesses. And it will be called the Business Development Agency, and it will support and champion small businesses across government departments. It will help them access finance business advice but it will also help them through procurement because many of our smaller businesses struggle with the big government contracts um, and local authority contracts and that's why they need the hands-on support to be able to navigate that so we can make sure that our small local businesses are being able to participate within the public sector and gain those contracts in the way that they should. I've got two very very short final questions for you. Do you personally Rebecca want to leave the European Union or do you think it's better to remain? I didn't and I voted to remain when we had the referendum, but I'm a Democrat and I wanted to respect the results, even though I wasn't happy with it, I didn't agree with it, but that was the result, whether we liked it or not. So we have a moral duty, I think, as politicians to come up with a deal that protects our economy as much as we possibly can. And that's why, when we know that there's a divided opinion on this, that's why we think we should go for a people's vote so that people can examine that deal. All right, and finally, what have you done with Emily Thornbury? <laughs> I haven't seen her for a while. I think she's in London at the moment. Well, I mean, she's nobody. People be asking me, what's happened to her? She doesn't keep, she's keeping her head very far below the parapet. She's still alive and well, Good. Like Emily. You don't All need right. to worry. Thank you very much indeed, Rebecca. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Rebecca Longbody there uh, giving us the lowdown on a great many things, including why the Labour Party believes that it's a good idea to give the uh, a vote in the second referendum, even though they don't think it's a second referendum, to EU citizens living in this country. I want to know what you make of that. 0344 499 uh, She is, of course, standing as a Labour candidate in Salford and Eccles. Amongst other candidates are Atika Chowdhury from the Conservative Party, Brian Blears from the Green Party, Jake Overend from the Liberal Democrats, and Matt Mickler uh, from the Brexit Party. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Above care is only a flicker. Oh, they flicker and they flow. And I'm up here holding on to all those chandeliers I pull. Like some drunken Elvis singer. I go. Oh, I
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You can get in touch in a variety of ways. You can email us, of course, if you wish to. Just go on the website, talkradio.co.uk, and you'll find the email address. We haven't yet received the email from Christine about the chemtrails, but, uh, you know, we await to, to see whether Liz Truss actually admits doing that, and then we'll go from there. Uh, you can tweet us at Talk Radio. Uh, you can text us at 87222 uh, and start your message with the word talk. Jean says, are we allowed to eat Emma Thompson? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, she might go around a few people, I suppose. Charlton Kev says, Emma has really lost the plot now. I guess the whiff of all that cash has finally frazzled her brain. Uh, well, I mean, I'll tell you what, a man who knows a little bit about uh, listening to celebrities, his brains are a bit frazzled. Brendan O'Neill, editor of Spikes Online. Brendan, uh, very good morning to you. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Not bad, not bad. I haven't finished laughing yet about Emma Thompson and the pet-eating story, but uh, <laughs> uh, we thought we'd take a slightly different line of approach with you and ask you about this mad Christmas lights row that's going on, because uh, yesterday we, we spent a great deal of time talking about uh, crappy Christmas markets and actual uh, Christmas trees that looked awful, like the one in Trafalgar Square. People were tweeting me last night saying, it's lit up now, doesn't look any better. Um, but... I mean, the, the, the sort of outbreak of Christmas lights outside houses um, has caused one particular father to go to war with his neighbours, which is hilarious. Yes, in Somerset. I, I, I must say I love this story yeah. because um, these Christmas things that people do outside their homes, I mean, they are tacky. They are tacky as hell. Mm. I, I, but I personally love them. There's a few on my street. Um, I love walking past them. I love taking pictures of them. Uh, they're completely and utterly nuts, and they light up the whole street and and uh, bring the crisp spirit in a rather strange way. But in Somerset, the neighbours have complained about this guy who has got hundreds of pounds worth of lights and sleighs and all sorts of things outside his house. They've called it tacky. They've suggested he tones it down. He's responded, this is the bit I love, he's responded by putting even more stuff out there, <laughs> in, including a massive blown up laminated version of the, com uh, the the letter of complaint that they left on his doorstep. Really? So I think that's actually probably quite a good response to those Scrooges who moan about tacky Christmas It's true. As long as I suppose it's not actually lighting up the whole street because it must be quite irritating if you're living right next door to something like that and the light just is always on. I mean I don't know whether people who have these kind of uh, dis uh, illuminations put them off at night or not but I've got, certainly there's only one in my street which, which is on every single year and they keep it on right the way through the night. As long as the darkness is there, it's on. Yeah. So if you were living right next door, I think you'd probably get a bit irritable. Or, or even worse, opposite of it. I, yes. I used to live opposite someone who did it every Christmas, and it was very distracting because you'd see it all the time, even from the corner of your eye, it would just always be there. Flat. Yeah. So it can get irritating, and probably there's some argument for neighbours working out amongst themselves how to negotiate this stuff, how to ensure it doesn't blow up the whole street. Um, but, I, but I like both sides of this story. I like the fact that someone is taking action and saying, look, can we have a bit more of a toned-down Christmas vibe? And I like the fact that the guy's pushing back by saying, listen, I'm going to go even harder. It's like a, it's like a bizarre Christmas war over de tacky yes. decorations. And you can, imagine, you, know, you can imagine, you know, you can imagine the next line of attack will be somebody pulling the plugs out or something or sort of snipping <laughs> the wires. But one of the things he's got, apparently, he's got three projectors to give the illusion that the property is covered in swirling snow. I mean, they must make yeah. a bit of noise as well. Yeah. So that, I'm sure they do. And so, I mean, some people do go over the top and uh, and they love it. You know, the minute it becomes acceptable to put up Christmas decorations, they're plastering the whole outside of their houses with all this stuff. It is a strange thing to do. Um, it's a very strange, very British thing to do. I'm sure it does irritate some people. But I think at Christmas time, it's worth putting up with some weird stuff. Yeah. 
because uh, you know people are getting into the spirit people are getting excited people are really really excited about the fact they're going to be on holiday and buying presents and i think we've got to put up with some of the nonsense well you take it takes your mind off the election i mean down in sussex uh, there's a town i can't remember the name of it where lots of people go because it's famous for having lots and lots of houses with loads of christmas decorations so it's become almost like a thing to do you drive mm. there and you drive very slowly through the main street and you see all these different houses and, and sort of gasp and make ooh and ah noises. But, I mean, it also yeah. creates massive traffic jabs in the middle of this yeah. place, you know, <laughs> for the whole month of December. But, you know, one of the things that does worry me, I mean, there's tacky stuff. People do it or they don't do it. It's up to them. One thing that worries me is there's a, there's a real sense of anti-Christmas miserabilism around at the moment. There's lots of Scrooges around mm. who are just tut they're tut tutting at everything to do with decorations and gifts. So you, you guys are talking about Emma Thompson. You know, a few weeks ago, she said she was going to have an eco-friendly Christmas, oh, yeah. which basically means she'd be buying presents for everyone. I saw Extinction Rebellion people marching through a very crowded Oxford Street, handing out leaflets to shoppers saying, why don't you try being a human being instead of a human buying, and basically telling everyone off for buying Christmas gifts or Christmas tat, oh, yeah. they refer to it. But there's this real, uh, what I don't like, I mean, the, the tacky displays outside houses can definitely get irritating for neighbours. I think what's far worse is the growth of this miserable around Christmas, where we're supposed to think it's all too wasteful and we've become too greedy and it's become too tacky. I think there's a real, um, that that's a miserable approach. And I think a, a lot of these kind of often quite posh, lost people who look down their noses at ordinary people who enjoy Christmas should probably do one. Well, these people are those who have had something uh, for nothing for most of their lives. Most of them are these yeah. young people who have lived very middle-class existences, whose parents make very nice money, thank you very much indeed. They've been, as we always find out, on many, many foreign holidays. They've been all over the world, globetrotting, and they've suddenly now joined this kind of rebellion, as they call it, with a small R, and they tell everyone to give up all the stuff they've already had. Well, sorry, some people actually f fight for, the, for, for their lives to get a nice Christmas, and they love to be able to save up some money to buy a decent present for their husband or their wife, or their brother or their sister. And, you know, these people are killjoys trying to say, oh, you shouldn't be enjoying yourself. Absolutely. This country has got way too many middle class and even quite posh and even aristocratic killjoys going around, moaning about the, the human footprint the rest of us are making. And as you say, lots of these people grew up in the lap of luxury. They travel the world. They live in fine houses. They've got, you know, for example, Emma Thompson saying she's not going to buy that many gifts this year because she wants to be eco-friendly. I mean, every day is Christmas if you're Emma Thompson and you're flying from L.A. to London and jetting around the world. So I think there's a real snobbery. There's an eco-snobbery in a lot of this stuff. And I think a lot of these posh, these kind of deranged posh hippies who are taking over the streets and moaning about the behaviour of ordinary people, they really need to back off because they have become a bit irritating. They've become exceedingly irritating. Brendan, thank you very much indeed. Brendan O'Neill, editor of Spikes Online, talking about people who are incredibly irritating, who can be uh, the sort of people who would ruin your Christmas if they got the chance to do so. Now, uh, I'm delighted to say I'm about to talk to somebody who does not want to ruin anybody's Christmas, and in fact, who wants to actually spice up their Christmas. If you want to be my lover, you gotta get with my friends. Make it last forever. Friendship never now, if that doesn't cheer you up, you are completely and utterly dead inside, I have to say. I'd like to say Mel B joins us. Uh, she's going to tell us how to spice up our love lives this Christmas. Uh, Mel, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm very well indeed. Thanks so much for joining us. Now, 
Whatever you say about Spice Girls music, it's upbeat, it's funny, it's, it makes you smile, makes you want to dance. It's, it's a beautiful thing and uh, <laughs> it's what people need at this time of year, isn't it? I think so. I mean, Christmas is all about family, you know, and, and getting your kids your Christmas presents and decorating the tree. But for some people, it can be a little bit of a dark period too. So I like to spread a lot of love and Christmas cheer wherever I go. Yeah, absolutely right. Now, uh, you're all about spicing up your love life this Christmas. Now, be, bearing, in about mind, that. bearing in mind, that's what it says here, bearing in <laughs> <No>. mind, um, <laughs> bearing in mind that, uh, you know, we're, we're on during the day. Um, what can you tell us? What, what can we do? Um... I think you maybe you've got the wrong end of the stick. What what it is is I've teamed up with Badoo, which is a dating app, and they've got 430 million people that have you know that are on this dating app, and they've done a survey. Mm. And what they found is, um, for a start, you have to date honestly, but your musical preference is really, really, really important. It is. Yes, yeah, so they're saying that if you're very honest about this, about your musical preference, and you don't lie about it, you have more chance of actually starting off with a, a really good, solid foundation for um, a relationship. Is that because if you are, say, for example, you like music, which is considered to be a bit naff, but you, <laughs> but you basically say, look, this is what I like, that's better than pretending that you don't like naff music? Yeah, exactly, because if, I mean, my preference is 90s R&B and 90s pop. You know, if somebody, if I was dating somebody that likes heavy metal or heavy hardcore mm. rock I don't think that I would be dating them and I'm going to be honest about that because on that level we have nothing in common you don't want to be dragged to an ACDC sort of tribute band in other words oh I don't think I mind that but I mean dark dark hardcore heavy metal I don't think I could put up with because imagine that in my kitchen cooking <laughs> I want to be listening to some soft R&B or some chilled out music no that wouldn't be my cup of tea now what's interesting is the survey's shown a few things as well uh, the most honest music fans apparently alternative rock and folk music fans those who believe most in traditional values easy listening open yeah. to try new activities punk music fans so yeah. you might, I mean, if you look at this, right, you might say, well, actually, I'm interested in meeting somebody um, who's open to trying new activities, so I'm going to look for a punk rock fan. Exactly, or I'm going to look for somebody that has more of t traditional values, so yeah. go for the country music kind of person. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is a survey that was taken... Um, with, with singles, um, single people that are living in the UK. So this is really kind of, this is direct and correct and honest. Right, OK. And it says here, most likely to have cheated in the past, jazz fans. You want to stay from them? <laughs> stay away from them, exactly. <laughs> now, you see, everybody who likes jazz is meant to have this kind of, you know, very chilled out, very laid back sort of uh, view of the world. You wouldn't think that would be the case, would you? Well, that's what the survey says, and mm. it's a true one. Believe in a man paying on a first date. How are you on that? Because you want you to go for easy listening and country music fans for that. Well, I mean, it depends. I mean, I, I don't mind country music at all, um, and I don't mind easy listening music. And I think if I'm going to go out on a date with somebody, it would be a discussion who, as to who pays. Right. Yeah, and, and what all would depends. You, and, and how, I mean, you've been in the music business a long time. Can you tell by looking at people what sort of music they like? Uh, you think that you would be able to by the way that they act and, the, and what they dress, but, you know, there's always a bit of a shocker out there. There's always some surprises. Right. I mean, you know, it says um, you should beware of some kinds of music fans, right, by find, finding the hardest to commit are folk music fans, even though <laughs> yeah. they're the most honest. So presumably, Well, presumably they're the most honest, so they'll tell you they can't commit. Yeah, well, well hopefully they, they will. Oh, right. they would. And there is, I mean, you know, there's Christmas parties going on, of course, at Christmas time. Office parties are a real nightmare nowadays because you're not really supposed to talk to anybody or, or chat and anybody You can't up. do anything, can can't you? can't do anything, days. no. I mean, All you can do is say hello well, now you with can the ask right them, tone. I guess now you can ask them what your favourite song is. There you go. That's safe and that's honest and it's a good starting point. So if I was to ask you what your favourite song was, what would you say? 
Oh, it depends. My favourite song of all time or mm. my favourite song when I'm working out or when I'm chilling out. It all depends. Yeah, well, try your favourite song of all time. I'll see what oh, category God. I can put you in. Jesus. Well, I like... 90s pop, I like 90s R&B, but then I do I do like your Celine Dion's, okay. your big classic ballads. I do love Mariah Carey. You know, I mean, I like my own music too. I like Spice Girls music, yeah. so I've got a big catalogue. Have, you got, any, have you got any one. Spice Girls mu uh, music news for us at all? Is there anything in the pipeline with the Spice Girls? You had a fantastically successful tour. Yeah. Um, are you going to do any more of that, do you think? I mean, I would love to, but we've got no plans as yet, but mm. um, I'm living in hope. Okay, well, okay. Have, a, have a lovely Christmas and thank you so you much for, for joining us. And uh, uh, we might ask people to see whether this musical um, sort of uh, love matching is a good idea. It's uh, uh, Mel B, thanks very much indeed for Badoo, uh, the, uh, the dating app. Uh, apparently, it encourages its users to date honestly, which can't be a bad thing, really. Why would you want to date dishonestly? Dangerous mid morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's coming up to 12.33. It's Friday, and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Special Christmas music to uh, go along <laughs> with the Perrier Awards this year. Well done. Thank you. Khan is here to deliver the uh, Perrier... I, I could say the... Sort of, I don't know, 53rd Perrier Rewards or something like that. Yeah, the we've way never really do. kept count. You don't really keep count of things, do you? No, I don't, no. no. Well, how many do you think we've done? Well, how long has this show been going? A couple of years. A couple of years, yeah. coming up to, isn't yeah, it? Starting it is. January. I know you haven't been here for most of it, but um, I would say if you have one a week, that's 52 for a year, right? Yeah. Uh, so we, I would say we must be up around this 90 be, odd. Yeah, I, well... Especially, this is the centenary. So there you go. very exciting. So this is the, not the, the centenary. Perry Awards. Very nearly the hundredth Perry Awards. What have you got for us? Uh, well, welcome to the Perry Thank Awards. You. This is, of course, where we go back over the past week of the so-called Independent Republic of so Mike cool. Graham and choose our favourite moments. Excellent. Consider it the Christmas market of the show. You look forward to it. However, it will ultimately disappoint you. And we've got more this week, as unfortunately next week uh, will be the general election results day. Well, why can't we do the Perry well, Awards? Well, I'll be busy uh, visiting visiting the Queen as she invites me to form a government, okay. of course. Well, and uh, they'll be... Talk about disappointment. <laughs> yes, uh, so let's begin. Uh, as is tradition, Mike, mm. the first pair goes to you. Really? You win Apology of the Week Thank for you. your uh, apology to Bruce Williamson from Rail Futures. Now, Bruce, it's very unusual for me to feel in any way bad about the way I talk to people, but I thought I was a little bit sharp with you yesterday and I thought I should probably forgive you uh, for talking about Denmark. <laughs> you forgave him? Yeah. What's wrong with that? <laughs> well, normally, when you apologise, you apologise, yeah. and then he, oh, see, he forgives very, you. So I'm not very good at No, you're not used to no, saying that. Not used to. Yeah, it's um, a struggle for me. Yes. Uh, now, this general election has had us, I would say, possibly growing weary of hearing from politicians. Mm. Yes, it's time we started listening to experts again. Yes. Fortunately, we had David Tobe, the director of the policy, uh, director of policy at Quilliam International, okay. on the phone, and he won Expert of the Week. The thing is, I mean, Anjum Chowdhury and Al Mahajaroon is an organisation that has been linked to a huge proportion of terrorist right. uh, uh, events, and it's meant to be years. illegal, isn't it? What terrorism? No. Yeah. <laughs> He, say what you want about him, he knows his yeah, stuff. Yeah, he does, that's why we got him on. <laughs> um, moving away Thanks from experts, um, back to you, Mike. Uh, the master of the vocal range, you win the accent of the week. Thank you. The Cornwall accent is not the most attractive, is it? And, and a bit of lunch, 
It's a controversial word, but a bit of London dilution is no bad thing. <laughs> You're not a fan of pole dark, then. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you say it. How do you say pole dark? Pole dark. Yeah, but you see, that means you're not uh, setting up the Cornish thing. No, I've never seen it, so I wouldn't really you know never, much yeah, about surprised. it. Do you watch television? Yeah, watch a bit of telly. What's the last thing you watched? Um, really enjoying the Met Policing London on the BBC, former... Uh, that's just finished. Right. Watching Suits on Netflix <laughs> with Meghan Markle. Very it's a documentary. Good. Yeah, so it's still on the telly. All right. Now, we all love our regular callers of the show. We do. As well as welcoming new callers, of course. But it's always been a mystery as to who is the oldest caller. Mm. But Harry in Portsmouth gave us a clue, so he wins the oldest listener of the week. But I happen to know Waterloo Station very well. They'd have to move the railway lines to connect up with each other, which at the moment they don't do. There used to be a connection years ago, uh, up until the First yeah. World War. They... <laughs> <laughs> that was of good. Of course, he knew it then as the Great War. <laughs> yes, of course, yeah, because there hadn't been a second one by that stage. <laughs> no, um, back to you, Mike. You also win the wrong namer of the week. Mm. Uh, let's go to the phones, though. 0344 is the number. Let's talk to Carter, uh, who's in Scotland, wants to talk about the NHS. Hi, Carter. <laughs> Hello, Mike. How you uh, doing? My name's uh, George Carter, but don't worry. Oh, sorry, um, George. No, no, I'll call you George. Fine. Or you can no. call me Graham if you like, just to make up for it. <laughs> I thought we'd gone back to primary school there, or secondary school, where my <laughs> teachers used to call everyone by their second names. Yeah, I Graham. quite like that. that Mendez. Sort of yeah, Mendez, yeah. 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 Where's uh, that from, that name? Uh, my dad. Uh, and for similar reasons, Alan in London wins the first time caller of the week. Well done. I've got Alan on the phone who wants to tell me about Christmas trees. Alan, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Graham. Uh, Just yeah. call me Mike, Alan. For <laughs> heaven's sake, mate. There is a lot of that about. It does really wind you up as well, which is really enjoyable. I wouldn't say that. Oh, you were quite wound up there in that last clip, I right. think. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's go back to you now, Mike. Mm. Uh, during some trouble with the phone lines with a guest, uh, you had to step in and do what we call in the biz filling. Yeah. And you do win filler of the week. Okay. No, um, but it's a but lot of frothy it's milk. It's and it's, I mean, it's quite a lot of calories, I imagine. Catherine's gone. We'll see if we can get her back. According to uh, this Action on Sugar report, uh, more than something like 200 drinks that they analysed found shockingly large amounts of sugar in them, right? 23 spoonfuls per cup, which is an awful lot, isn't it? Can you imagine if you actually made yourself a cup of tea at home and you just did this? One, two, three, four, five, six. This is brilliant. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, yep. twelve... 13, So you're 14, getting the idea, aren't you? 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Right? That's 23 spoons of sugar in one cup of tea. Can you imagine? I think we've got Catherine back. Hello, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> See, that to me is consummate professionalism and also kind of creating a scene whereby people can understand how much sugar we're talking about. Because if you just say 23... Or, Without counting them by the spoon, it doesn't quite give you the uh, the feeling. Or it could just be counting upwards until you get your caller back. Yeah, but you see, that's what some people why, could this say. This is why you don't understand how this show works on so many different levels <laughs> because there's so much going on there. I so think so you many actually, levels to the show. I think you should put that up for an award. Really? Yeah, <laughs> okay. Well, it's one of Perry Awards. Time wasting so award <laughs> yeah. of the year. Um, right. Thank you. Let's get back on track. During yesterday's mm. visit from the free drinkers who bought some whiskey with them, uh, it may have gone to your head a little. You, you win the most tenderest moment of the week. Uh. Uh, but anyway, um, I've had the second sip now, um, mm -hmm. and I can see what you mean. I now and the warmth is now kind of all over me. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's just because we're here. What's wrong with that? 
That's how it's it feels. Really weird phrase for you to okay. say. Right. Um, lots for you this week, Mike. For once, you've won the answer of the week. Marvellous. Is today the day that they have their... Uh, where you have to leave a gift on the, the doorstep in Germany for the... I don't know. ...their equivalent of I'm Santa to arrive. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a pretty stupid question to ask me. What do they do in Germany today? I don't know. Speak good German. Point, fair point. Uh, the winner of the next Perry Award is the NATO Conference. I'm sure they'll be very glad to hear that. They yeah. win for Timing of the Week. Uh, looking at what's going on uh, at NATO today, the meet- summit meeting going on. Boris Johnson currently addressing the meeting. Let's have a listen in. It's a meeting, so I thank the media for joining us at the beginning of the meeting, and we will continue uh, this meeting in just a moment. You should be well, doing. You should Boris be winning Johnson, this. But, uh, he was putting on a funny voice. No, it was not Boris Johnson. Uh, he just stopped speaking the minute I went to him. You see, you're the producer of this it's show, It's really right? bad luck. Yeah, well, you... It's not bad luck. No, it's bad planning. No, it's bad luck. Bad luck. These you things told never... me to throw to Boris Johnson, <laughs> These things and then never... he, he was wasn't talking there. literally as you started throwing to him, I and see. then he finished. Ah. Um, all this Useless. week, of course, we've been hearing from our roving reporter, Alex Dibble, yes. who's been on a marginal mystery tour of tight constituencies and sharing their stories in the form of carefully produced audio packages. His first period he wins this week is for the most obvious statement of the week. I'm standing beside what must be a dozen shops, all boarded up with grey paint, and there's nothing coming in or coming out of them. No, well, they're boarded up, aren't well, they? Well, that's right. Because <laughs> <laughs> paint a picture, though, doesn't it? Yeah, well, to help with painting a picture, Dibbles are one the barrier for the best Mr. use of Dibble to you. the vast talk radio sound effect library, which is very big. It's about it three corridors. Yeah. Um, and this is showcased by these highlights from across his packages this week. I might pop into some local businesses and see what they have to say. I'm sure they'd be pleased to see you. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Marcia Blake and I run Earl Street Cafe. Carter's Jewelers. So why don't we try the Cheese Hall Pub? That looks nice. <laughs> the demand. Whatever happens in the general election, we'll just adapt and change our business model to keep producing profits. My name is Stuart Ashton. This is Willoughby Farm. Oh, you missed off the chickens. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, honestly, it's really hard to. It was actually really hard to make that period politically balanced yes, as well. Because yeah, you've got to do that, of yeah. course. Um, the cows voting for the Brexit party. Yeah. Um, and finally, yes. uh, wasn't it nice to hear again from Susan in Exeter mm. on the show this week Always after good. a little break? Uh, so lovely, and even better that both you and her have won the Perrier for duet of the week. You are going to brand me very much a bar bar a bar humbug. <laughs> Baba Black sheep Have you ready wool Yes sir Yes sir Three Bags full One For the master One For the game And one yeah. For the little boy Who lives down the lane <laughs> You've been smoking something funny this week <laughs> Dear God. Of course not. That's it for the pair I believe awards. you chose Barbar Black Sheep as well. That's incredible. <laughs> There'll be more. Well, it's been Susan nice working with you. There'll be more. <laughs> Next yeah. two weeks' time. Bye. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. 
Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.